and gentlemen, welcome to the Art of Disruption podcast from Tabare, bringing you the world's best artists and gallerists wherever you are. Good afternoon and good evening. This is the Art of Disruption podcast brought to you by Tabare, a brand new platform bringing you the best artists and gallerists from all around the world. We're going to give you the life stories and national histories told to you by some of the greatest living artists today and a whole lot more. So welcome to this first episode of this first series where we will be delving deep into and taking you on a journey all about art from Africa. Now, this isn't going to be a series all about masks and artifacts, however marvellous and magical they might be. Oh no, this is going to be a journey taken together with some of the greatest painters and mixed media masters who have created over these last 70 years. And on each episode, we will be speaking to a major player within the African art scene. So coming this month, we will be talking to the brilliant Michael Soy of Kenya, who recently featured on the BBC documentary series African Renaissance, and who also took on China with his art and won. We're going to be speaking with Serge Clotty from his home in Accra, Ghana, where the utterly unique artist talks about migration and what he really thinks about the African diaspora coming to Ghana. And to prove our podcasting generosity to you, our new listeners, we will be giving you an episode entirely devoted to the legendary Ghanaian artist Ablade Glover, the master depictor of crowds and women. So make sure you subscribe and keep in the loop and unwind and relax for today's show because we have one very special guest from Africa who's done as much as anyone to push this art scene into new territories and who's busy planning the eighth edition of the world's biggest contemporary African art fair this month. It's with great pleasure to introduce today Toria Alglawi, who is the founding director of the 154 Contemporary African Art Fair, which in non-pandemic times takes place annually in London, New York and Marrakesh. Toria was born and raised in Morocco and she is the daughter of the late, great, formidable figurative painter Hassan Aglawi. Toria completed her education in New York before working as a wealth management consultant. And then after 10 years, she relocated to London, where she created the 154 Contemporary African Art Fair in 2013, bringing the brilliance of artists from Africa to a much wider and ever-growing audience. She has spoken widely and shared numerous discussions on contemporary African art and women in leadership at leading institutions and events globally. And she was recently listed amongst the 100 most powerful women in Africa by Forbes and among the 100 most influential Africans in business by New African magazine. Toria, hello. How are you? Very good. And yourself? Good, good, good. So please tell us, is the show going ahead? So we're doing the fair this year, you know, and we don't even know, like, the, the I don't know if you heard the announcement from the BBC yesterday where gathering or <laughs> a ban now for more than six people or something like that. So it's a, it's a bit of a roller coaster, but it seems that we're not affected because we have time ticket and museums are not affected and things like that. So let's see. Let's see for more news. Well, on behalf of African art lovers worldwide, we certainly hope it goes ahead. <laughs> And when it does go ahead between the 8th and 10th of October this year, it will be the 8th edition, which is just amazing. So I wanted to kick off this podcast with you by taking a look back at how far 154 has come since you began in 2013, uh, by asking you whether there was a single moment when you decided that artists from Africa demanded a wider audience. 
But there's definitely has been moments, you know, rather than a single moment. One was, you know, during my career, you know, in my previous professional life where I had the chance to go around the continent um, for a corporate American company called Cisco System. And I was covering the African market for them. And during my free time, during those traveling, I was discovering these amazing art scenes, you know, where I saw some unbelievable, you know, work um, that really I thought deserved, you know, um, a larger a larger audience, but also some, you know, international recognition. Um, and this is pretty much, you know, um, during those, uh, you know, five years covering the African continent that I realized, you know, how great the art work I was discovering were and how the art scenes were super energetic, you know, with the, the production of amazing, um, amazing work. So that was a moment of me experiencing, I guess, contemporary art from the continent that I had not seen before. Um, and that was very exciting about and then there was another moment which was really in parallel to uh, you know this period of my life where I started supporting a bit more my father who was uh, you know an artist and he passed away unfortunately two years ago but he um, you know by by going more into his work and preparing with him an exhibition that took place in London I also discovered you know a whole part of his uh, career where he actually had a lot of international visibility very early on because he lived in Paris he did Les Beaux-Arts in Paris you know as a school and he had the chance to have international galleries you know representing him so he had this uh, you know great access at the beginning of his career as well as great visibility and it kind of like started to to uh, to happen in my mind why what I was seeing in Africa that had not had this geographical crossing the borders and this accessibility and this visibility when I understood how my father did it basically so it's uh, in a way um two parallel you know kind of um long events, me working, you know, and supporting my dad's work and really getting a clear, you know, understanding of this early career of his, you know, that I was not born in and I didn't understand before, um, where he, um, you know, had this international visibility, which really helped him in building, you know, his established career in Morocco. And same thing, uh, you know, for, um, you know, those uh, unbelievable artists that I was discovering in Africa, in a way, understanding why they were not crossing the geographical borders, you know. So I would like to say there was one moment, but it was a bit of a you know, longer time period understanding on, you know, what I could do, why the platform was necessary, you know, and how it affected and impacted my father's career and what we could do for, you know, artists from the continent that didn't have that access of visibility. Wonderful. You mentioned how important it was for your father to have a support system in place. When he was at the beginning of his career, and we know that the earlier an artist gets gallery representation, then usually the value of their work will be higher yes. throughout their career, which is why a few young artists are paying galleries to exhibit their work when they're starting out today. But if we go back to your father, I'm very interested in the story of his burgeoning career. And for anybody who doesn't know, Hassan Aglawi was a renowned artist who was well known for his depictions of Fantasia horsemen. But am I right in thinking that a certain Winston Churchill may have played a role in your father's early career? Yes, so Winston Churchill definitely played a role in that. 
Um, but really, when he became, you know, really, uh, I think, a talented, um, uh, I guess, Sunday artist, you know, at the time when he was much older, he was 24. Um, I think his desire to become an artist was much earlier. But I think the story has it. And we confirm with the family, with letters, etc., that basically uh, during one of the trips of Winston Churchill in Marrakesh, where he was flying quite uh, often, um, he knew quite well my grandfather, so my, my father's father, and he spent time with him quite often. And when he was coming to Morocco, he often painted, you know, he was asking my my grandfather for opinion on where to paint and the light and we we found back you know letters of them exchanging on you know where he will do next uh, you know to paint and uh, so they were quite you know intriguing letters between two you know political you know men talking about uh, you know painting and and light in Marrakesh and uh, and basically uh, it seems that during one of the the visits of Winston Churchill at my at my grandfather's I guess in a way to make conversation I don't know he showed him some of my father's uh, you know drawing that were in his uh, office and it seems that um, more of a complaint I think that my my father only wanted to do that he didn't want a political career he didn't want to do anything else but he really wanted to paint and he didn't know what to do with him you know and if it was, you know, feasible career in Morocco, that Winston Churchill kind of advised him to let him go, that he was talented enough and that, you know, if it was his passion, he should try to to go to Paris and actually study uh, study art, you know. So I think that's how it went. And my father went really late. He went when he was, I think, 24 to, to study in Paris. And uh, that was after a lot, a lot of supplication and, you know, begging to, to leave and do that as a career. And it seems so the story has it that he had a secret, you know, studio in his mother's uh, home because he couldn't do it, you know, uh, with his father's knowledge because his father was setting him on missions, etc., where he wanted him to do more, you know, more of his line of business rather than, you know, being an artist. Wow such an incredible story and it's amazing to think that a leader as influential as Winston Churchill was in the 20th century for for both good and for bad had at least a very minor part to play in the story of your father's art and thereby in the story of Moroccan and African painting and of course uh, you would have been absorbing this fantastic art right from when you were born and as you then grew up in Morocco you would later go and study in work in New York which which gave you the chance to travel around the world and then throughout Africa um, with your job. And so during these travels, was it clear to you that art from Africa was underrepresented in the international art scene? And was that the prime motivation for you in establishing 154 in 2013? Uh, for sure. So, uh, you know, when I decided to start the platform, this was definitely, you know, the mission of uh, of the platform and 154 and its existence really was to kind of, uh, you know, um, provide a platform for, for artists from the African continent, but also the African diaspora and make sure that we created, you know, a platform where um, you had, you know, access that artist lovers, artist collectors, curators, you know, institution could come and see and access, you know, art from the from the continent. So it was definitely the mission of 154. And I think we stayed through really true to that, you know, since we started. And I think, you know, counting, you know, how much representation there is today on museums in as much as there's a lot of progress, you know, in the past 10 years, we still, you know, I think the core of the mission is still true and it still holds true for, I think, uh, 
you know a couple of more years because um, the balance and the you know the inclusion of artists from the continent is very still very limited and the proportion of you know uh, representation in big institutions or even big art fairs you know international art fairs is still you know not at the level where it should be so um in terms of you know creating that platform to give access to give you know representation and visibility to artists from the continent i think the mission of 154 still holds true today fantastic and and what were those early years like starting in 2013 was there good receptivity in london right from the beginning to what you were establishing for sure i mean i had a lot of uncertainties but since the first edition we did a sold out you know the galleries who were present at the fair uh you know had a lot of interest of uh, institutions and museums and you know we were the the refreshing you know fair you know of uh, of london um and i think we were able to continue um as much as i had doubt you know that you know there will be huge areas of development and you know we could improve whatever i was you know creating as a platform um the the sold out and the enthusiasm of the galleries and the collectors definitely you know supported our second edition and making sure that we were going for a second um, you know second edition and had the the finances to go to go ahead as well um i think since i think i, w- I will say straight on for the first 3 years we had the same you know, amount of uh, success, but we were building the fair as well. So we're in a space of development. And I think, you know, from the third year to probably today, we saw huge, um, you know, huge development with the fair, but we're able obviously to go to New York and then to go to Marrakech and uh, uh, get, you know, the, the excitement of our own community, you know, coming to the fair and supporting the different events we were doing. And obviously huge visibility from the press, which was really helpful. That's great. And so much has changed in the last eight years um, with the establishment of 154 in Marrakesh in New York and with other exhibitions taking place on the continent. Um, and just generally, the African art market has, has, is really um, becoming stronger year on year. But how do you think the growing recognition of world-class artists from Africa and among the diaspora help narrate the story of a sometimes misunderstood continent? Well, I definitely think that for too long, you know, the narrative about Africa has been told by outsiders, you know, um, often with very little understanding of the different nuances of the, the continent. And I think Africa as a continent has a hundred and, you know, has, sorry, 50 country, 54 countries, uh, with each, you know, multitude of language, you know, complex social, political, you know, histories. Um, they also have, uh, you know, ever changing cultural traditions, you know, that uh, need to be understood. And, and told, and I think the narrative being told by you know um, artists um, are really um, leading to change. You know, breaking down and all the stereotypes that you know you might uh, have of Africa, and definitely they have a chance to presenting you know their own narrative, but experiences, histories, understanding of the continent, and this I think was really needed to get you know insiders telling the story. Um, of uh, the continent and I think Africans are you know African artists are basically the front lines of this you know they can definitely share you know their own vision of the continent which is I think uh, what was really needed in the in those you know last uh, decades yeah certainly and within Africa right now there's so much creative energy in so many places and I think of West Africa uh, where I live and specifically the scenes in Lagos, Accra and Dakar but from your many travels across Africa what art hubs or cities perhaps 
are you most excited about and think provide fertile ground for emerging artists today? I, I do, you know, feel we, you know, just touch, you know, the top of, uh, of the iceberg in a lot of those places, you know, on the continent. What I've seen, though, you know, in the past and even when I was starting the fair is that there's definitely a correlation between countries that have been, in a way, you know, out of... Uh, um, you know, civil war or, you know, um, a turbulence, you know, so there's definitely, I think, a correlation between the economy of a country and, you know, how developed is the artistic scenes, you know, like in general. And I think uh, where we see um, the most um, development in the past, last, uh, in the last 10 years is really definitely South Africa that has been leading the way, but uh, Nigeria, North Africa, you know, where Tunisia, Morocco have been, you know, quite interesting in terms of, you know, a booming art scene, a large numbers of galleries, large numbers of auction houses, you know, um, that have done really well in establishing some of uh, the, the art scenes. And I definitely think they linked, you know, between how well or how stable is the country and, you know, doing uh, economically and, and how, you know, maybe artists, but also people have time to concentrate into, you know, into developing, you know, um, creativity you know in general um i do believe that in other places i've seen amazing creativity but sometimes led by you know one um agent of change you know so it would be the first you know contemporary gallery for example in addis uh, who is really gonna you know lead the way you know to to represent all the young generation of contemporary artists in 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 addis ababa and this i've seen you know with one gallery being present you know in london and in um in uh, in uh, in Addis, and I saw the same thing happening in Ghana with you know Gallery 1957. You know uh, when they came along and started you know participating in international art fairs, you know bringing those artists to the to the international um, you know audience. And I think um, as much as you know th your usual suspect might be you know South Africa, uh, Nigeria, uh, Morocco, Tunisia. Um, I think places like Addis and Ghana are obviously amazing, um, amazing spaces because of one, you know, one agent, one uh, non-for-profit or non, you know, one commercial gallery and they're doing great things, you know. So, um, I mean, those are my favorite two places at the moment, you know, that are top of my list is definitely Ghana and Ethiopia. Such an interesting answer. And it's incredible to think there's uh, a number of brilliant artists in this new generation uh, who are processing the trauma they experienced through growing up in conflicts at the turn of the century and after. Uh, and I think of Congolese artists like Armani Bodo and the uh, majestic Eddie Olunga, or we can think of Abudia's work from the Ivory Coast and how he's processing the 2011 civil war in that country. Um, but thinking more widely about artists, uh, which individuals' works are you particularly enjoying at the moment? You know, I mean, there's definitely artists that have definitely been inspired or, you know, or their work is re are really marked by, you know, uh, the trouble that their country went through. So you have also to add to Abudia, Gonzalo Mabunda, you know, from Mozambique, uh, who works with, um, you know, old weaponry, you know, from the Civil War. Um, I, 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 I honestly... Um, 
love the work. I pre- we presented the work. I find the work extremely interesting. I'm personally more into figurative, you know, more, um, I wouldn't say from that kind of inspiration uh, angle, but uh, um, I think it's probably the influences of my father, who's a figurative, you know, artist and maybe my first love, you know, in terms of uh, what I see around me. So um, I love photography, but I also love, you know, um, a figurative artist, you know, that we had the chance to present over over the next couple of years. Um, but I definitely find that, you know, we've seen in the past a lot of artists who've been inspired by their reality context, you know, on their on their countries, uh, quite. Um, uh, quite beautifully, you know, we had work that, you know, had uh, a tremendous success at the fair that have been, you know, uh, inspired and uh, probably influenced by, um, you know, the the issues happening in the different countries on the continent. Um, I personally, you know, I'm very... Um, uh, very um, limited in terms of, uh, you know, quoting my preferences because of the fair. So I usually try to stay vague in terms of my favorite, uh, my favorite artists in general to not create unfairness uh, in terms of what I see. But, you know, I love, I mean, my, my view even in, at the fair is to really often buy artists that are not known yet, you know, so I try to uh, support, um, the newcomers, you know, and the the artists first because I have a budget, so that's the first requirement also of my uh, of my probably collection. But second, I think the, the the ones that I find the most exciting are the one I discover, you know, that the one that I've heard about, you know, for the past ten years and uh, and uh, what they've been up to, and you know how we can uh, support their access to um, to maybe new residency program or you know new uh, new foundation or you know try to place them somewhere. So I'm very excited to uh, to um, to buy into the, the, the younger generation of, uh, of artists that we discover on the continent. We interrupt this interview to bring you the biggest news in the art world this week. Stay tuned for part two in just a moment. More good news this week as Birmingham's Museum and Art Gallery was the latest art institution to announce its reopening, almost seven months after the coronavirus forced it to close. Among the new items on display will be Benny's Babbies. This installation is a tribute to Birmingham by artist Cold War Steve, who's known for satirical collages, depicting the likes of Phil Mitchell and Cilla Black in chaotic dystopian scenarios. Former children's TV presenter Neil Buchanan has denied he is the elusive graffiti artist Banksy after a theory posted online went viral. It came after a social media rumour suggested the former Art Attack and Finders Keepers host was the man behind Banksy's anonymous street art. After the story spread, the 58-year-old felt obliged to clear the air and clarify that he really isn't the secretive artist. And if you're in London and looking to gaze upon art up close this week, it's your last chance to see Forgotten Masters Indian painting for the East India Company, showing at the Wallace Collection in Marlebone a gorgeous show bringing together portrait, botanical and everyday scene paintings. And that's your news for this week. And how good would it have been if Banksy had been hiding in plain sight all along on TV and was actually Neil Buchanan? But alas, I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, Who knows? 
Maybe he is. Anyway, great to hear of more reopenings of galleries in what's surely been the most difficult year for the art industry in such a long time. And of course, great news that 154 will go ahead and you can get your tickets online at www.1-54.com. And I gather there's still tickets for Saturday the 10th of October. Right, heading back to the second part of the interview with Toria and we will be discussing how a collector class is growing in Africa and also what you can look forward to at the 154 fair in just a few days time now so toria you've been at the forefront of uh driving the visibility of african artists globally um the western canon aesthetic has been at the center of the global art world for a long time Uh, but with rising prices at auctions and with institutions like 154 ever growing do you think artists from africa will continue to move in from the periphery especially considering the growing visibility of artists on social media at the moment Yes, I would say absolutely. You know, it's going to continue to grow. And I think the visibility that people, all those young artists that have on social media, you know, already positioning them in a much better situation than their previous generation. You know, they have access to the world, you know, using the social media. Um, And I definitely saw like multitude of, uh, you know, um, changes that had happened over the 10 years, you know, from institution trying to include more shows, you know, including artists from the continent, but acquisitions of large collectors uh, of important collectors all over the world, you know, acquiring uh, pieces at the the fair, but also uh, at other, you know, at other galleries and uh, other art fairs, not just 154. We've seen also a lot of galleries, you know, being invited now to larger, more important art fairs you know that are more international um so i do believe that this inclusion can only lead you know to more visibility more access more um more i guess standardization to have them included in the global you know um the global narrative as well so um it will not be quite unique now to have you know an art book including as much as you know african artists as you know the rest of the artists that the the art book was supposed to be included um now having saying that and having seen you know the numbers for example of the total sales at auctions you know representing African, you know, artists um, in the world, you know. So the total of this global uh, sales, you know, for African art are still representing less than, you know, Romania, the total sales for the Romania contemporary section. Um, So when you see that, you understand that when you compare, you know, whole continent to one country and we're still not as high as that particular country, um, obviously there might be numbers that are, you know, tweaking this total sales for Romania versus total sales for, you know, with one artist doing really well for Romania. I'm sure there's, there's, there's definitely explanation for that, but it really tells you also that we are really, really not yet, you know, where we should be when we talk about the whole continent, you know, with 54 countries, you know, obviously the largest continent of the world, you know, um, and we are barely, you know, having, for example, at the fair, the largest fair for 154 is the London fair. We have 45 galleries um, representing, um, you know, art, you know, artists from the continent. And if you, if you go to um, Freeze or Art Basel, like, you know, there are 200 galleries, you know, representing European artists, you know, and American artists. And, and um, so it's, 
it's very little in general. You know, it's not um, where we should be. But I think the progress is there, the development are there, the the situation is much more different. But I mean, the idea is really to make sure that we ensure growth um, is sustainable. Uh, that the interest in the art scene is also, you know, long term. It's not, you know, a, a short, um, a short, um, a short, I guess, development or enthusiasm or whatever. So it's really making sure that also the the this art scene is supported by also African collectors, you know, and that there's a genuine interest from the continent as well, not just an international interest, you know, and relationship with what we're showing now. So it's also our job to make sure that, you know, this progress is linked to back to the continent and making sure that there's a support, you know, from a collector base, you know, on the continent, because this is the only sustainable way, you know, um, at the end, you know, because, um, I mean, I would say the international collector base is also very attracted to uh, the new thing, you know, the new um, exciting uh, market that they have not discovered, that they can acquire, you know, collectors are very curious, but they're very excited about everything that they have not seen yet, you know. So um, I think we definitely have a, a growing moment, you know, and it's something we should be quite aware of and proud of, but we should also make sure that this growth is sustainable and that the interest is also uh, long-term interest, you know, and that the interest to the market, uh, the, uh, the, the, the the art scene uh, market is really genuine and really, you know, enthusiastic for the long-term. Wonderful. Yeah, I really like that answer and the fact that um, you mentioned how important it is to establish uh, a collector culture in Africa. Um, mm. And with that, I would imagine that you welcome the initiatives like the Yemisi Shiloh Museum of Art, Lagos's Artex. But is there any other ways that you think that um, uh, a, a collector base can be established on the continent? Or is it a case of uh, visibility or, or what? Well, listen, it's a, it's a lot of things. So collectors are usually also a social beast, you know, like, so it's, uh, so events like Artex Legos with all the, you know, the social uh, events around it, you know, and being part of this, you know, contemporary art club in a way, you know, is really helping, you know, getting people to, to want to do the same thing, belong, you know, to a certain uh, social group as well. And having, you know, honestly role models that they, you know, for example, I, I'm really taking an example, but uh, if we had, for example, one of the the most important African businessmen, you know, that everybody's looking up to, uh, like Dangote, for example, being a huge collector suddenly, you would see a lot of people really, and being very, very vocal about it, you know, you would see a lot of people you know, trying to do the same or thinking that they have to have their own collection, you know, in their bank or in their offices or whatever. I know that the model in Morocco really worked well because there's a point in time in the 70s and, and end of the 60s where all the major, you know, banks started collecting. So they all wanted to have their own, you know, foundation, their own collection. So that really supported the local, uh, the local art scenes. And then the presidents of this, those same banks for personal you know, uh, collection, also starting collecting and being involved and being more aware. And I think uh, once the corporate world also gets involved, you know, with supporting um, either the social art scene by supporting events, commissioning, you know, artists or, or sculptures or, or things like that, you know, there's definitely a, a more bigger engagement of uh, and of a larger audience. So I, I, I do believe that it's always important, but um, I know that education is key. 
as well. So I think that uh, getting people to understand why it is important, you know, to support their local uh, art scenes, um, support younger uh, artists being much more into the, maybe the, in a way, the the organization we have here, for example, in the UK, who are supporting, you know, the the creativity and the, the creatives in general, you know, so... Um, I don't know if it's one day possible, but you know, have something like the art council in in um, in 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 London in the UK, but you know, having the similar kind of organization in Ghana or in Nigeria, or you know, would support also the the art scenes. But I think collectors definitely we've tried to do in the past, and it worked really well. Different events, you know, that are social events um, with maybe a side of educational, you know, a side of it, you know, having an auction house talk about, you know, how important is it to collect you know having a, a talk about the difference between the primary market and the secondary market what it is important to 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 collect and keep the work you know um uh in a collection for a while so we had events that we're trying to i guess in a way groom collectors but um you know we are a very small team so we can't do anything and the content and the continent is huge so i think everybody from a gallery's perspective to today you know a non-for-profit or uh, foundation or museum have their role to play to educate you know their their first circle of of people you know so i think that would be the maybe uh, the best uh, the best path you know to get more more collector base uh, on the continent so toria after such a difficult year for you know for so much of the world in 2020 and for for all the millions of art lovers worldwide cooped up at home it really is terrific news that london's 154 will go ahead uh, in just a couple of weeks time now um, and i'd like to ask you why was it so important for you and for your team to go ahead with this eighth edition um, and what particular artist work can we be excited about seeing we're very excited to see the the feedback as well that we receive from people being so excited that we are going, you know, ahead with it. Um, it it is important, you know. We're trying to meet all the regulations, you know, that are letting us do that. It's going to be quite a new version of the fair because we unfortunately will be counting um, out a lot of our galleries, you know, coming from the continent this uh, this edition. We have the chance to have some galleries from the continent, but they have, you know, offices or, you know, a base in London, and that's why they're able to participate. But a large number of our usual, you know, galleries, um, unfortunately, are still uh, limited in terms of traveling. And um, so we will work with them to get either an online version or to make sure that they have um, someone who can man their booth, you know, in London um, this year. But uh, from our usual 45, I think, galleries, we like somewhere around 36 or 35 this year, um, you know, galleries that will be able to do the fair. Um, and I think it's very important because this is also, you know, four months uh, or even more for a lot of countries on the continent that, you know, sales have been very slowed down by the fact that everybody was in lockdown that fairs have been reduced or non-existence. You know, a lot of those galleries told me in the past that, you know, fairs represent, you know, somewhere between 70 to 75% of their sales, you know, um, a year. Um, um, so you can imagine that without, um, without sales uh, and art fairs and, you know, being in the total lockdown in some of those countries on the continent, it really impacted, you know, the way, um, you know, they were able to support their artists, but also 
you know all the ecosystem related to the to the art world you know so it it go be it goes beyond you know just the galleries being impacted but the gallery works with framers they worked with you know people that come hang their exhibitions they they work with cheaper company you know like there's there's a whole world uh, allocated to art fairs you know when they when they work and to the art world in general so we all have been very affected and i think being able to provide um, a fair also is a way to provide um, more um, exchange and me you know we really you know trying to in a way do our fair a very um, a very hybrid kind of way where you have an online version to everything we do so you'll have the physical fair and this is what we all looking forward to but um, our forum will take place which is our three days uh, you know um, program of talks um, and this will happen half physically and half online as well. So there's uh, there's uh, less people traveling uh, that we wanted to invite it that cannot travel and that we can still be involved with the continent, you know, by doing it online as well. So listen, we, we, we are functioning in a new, um, in the new, um, in the new world, you know, we're trying to adapt and be very flexible and trying to make the, the fair, the most accessible and trying to keep the momentum going, you know, for, for artists from the continent and the, the African diaspora. Fantastic. So the people that can't make it in person for this year's edition, they should all go online and check out the, all the things and the galleries you're doing online. Exactly. There will be two. There will, we have also the chance to have a pop-up of 154 in Mayfair this year. So there will be obviously Somerset House going on. And because we're doing this uh, collaboration with Christie's, Christie's is giving us a space for... Um, one piece of work by, per gallery, you know, to be present at their location in Mayfair. So, I mean, we're hoping that we are trying to cover all the different angles with the visibility and making sure that people have a chance to see um, to see the best of, uh, you know, what we have to uh, to propose the, this edition. Fantastic. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, now, so much has been achieved over these last eight years from yourself and from the 154 team. Um, that I wanted to finish by asking you whether you still have the same motivation and energy to showcase art from Africa as you did in the beginning and what's in store from 154 in the years ahead. So definitely the same enthusiasm and energy, you know, to, to uh, you know, to, um, to do it and, you know, continue 154 and make sure that it's more sustainable. So, the, the you know, if it was a normal year and if we had clear visibility, you know, my answer would be that, you know, we need to make sure that New York and uh, London, uh, sorry, New York and our fair in Marrakesh, you know, get stronger every year and make sure that, you know, they are sustainable themselves. We're managing those fairs, you know, from London, which is also very um, challenging in many ways, you know, when we, we do the fairs because we are not physically in New York uh, and we're not physically in Marrakesh. So, I mean, for us um, and for me personally, you know, my, my, my view was, you know, trying to make sure that, we are able to make those fair more local in many ways. So having maybe local people, you know, attached to us in London, but trying to manage uh, to manage the fair as well um, in in Marrakesh and in New York. Uh, now that we are obviously uh, entering this phase of you know non visibility for 2021, I think in terms of events that we'll be able to do uh, in Marrakesh and in New York, um, we are really working in developing our own online platform, you know, to make sure that we can you know provide maybe an online art fair you know when um when 
those fairs might be postponed or cancelled or, you know, um, we're not in the know right now to understand if we will be able to go ahead with Marrakesh and even if we'll be able to go ahead with New York in May. Um, and maybe things are going to clear up, you know, very fast. What we learned with the, our experience in London is that the best, if we're able to manage and London happens, like our best uh, way for the next couple of, uh, of months is really to be flexible and really trying to, um, you know, to organize those events as we go along, as the situation improves, as, you know, we can actually manage those events in those countries. So um, it is important for us to very uh, act on our presence uh, digitally and make sure that as much as it's, I honestly feel it's not the same, but it is quite important that that presence is still happening and it's still at the level where all the other international art fairs are actually, you know, putting their digital um, platform um, in place and make sure that we are willing and ready to apply the same criteria as to not be uh, left behind, you know, and make sure that we have our own online platform and making sure that we can um, support maybe a only art fair online in case where we cannot do Marrakesh or, you know, there's, a, there's some kind of a longer postponement for New York. Um, but we're trying to be ready, to be ready for the unknown, which is a bit difficult, you know, but um, in terms of energy to make sure that this doesn't get dropped, you know, and make sure that, you know, we continue to have access and visibility, it's there. Now I would love to end this conversation telling you, you know, <laughs> I have a clear vision of what's happening in 20 and 2021. Um, unfortunately, I don't have it, you know, so I just know what we're trying to put in place, which is, you know, uh, getting our digital platform ready for for, you know, for December, where it belongs to 154 and we can, you know, maybe have in the future an online um, version of 154 uh, to continue in the future, even when things will get better, um, to maybe uh, have it more focused on, um, you know, younger galleries who cannot afford to come to London or having, you know, uh, this platform for, you know, more um, an access to artists who don't have a gallery yet, you know, but that we want to have to know because they're the younger generation and can't be everywhere, but the, the online platform will allow us a larger access to the continent, you know. So I think that's, I think, where I want to see the fair go next um next couple of months is making sure that this platform that we're trying to create in a COVID time, you know, is something that we can, you know, leverage to have access to younger galleries, but younger artists as well that we might have not been able to showcase at 154. So, so plans are in motion and it sounds like there's lots, lots to look forward to in the years ahead. And and we will all be keeping our fingers and everything else we have crossed uh, for October's (laughs) edition. Yes, thank you. We all need a little of prayers <laughs> to to have it happen. But uh, I think we're in a good shape. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm sure that L- London is not going to go back into a full lockdown. You know, and they're not going to close the museums yet. You know, like they all had to put regulation in place. So, but you never know. And to be honest, safety if it comes first. You know, health comes first. So whatever you know. Uh, will take place we'll we'll try to adapt <laughs> brilliant well toria alglawi we hope to see you there and for now we just want to say thank you so much for joining us on this podcast you're welcome thank you so much for your time 
thank you to Toria and the team at 154 and to our listeners and I hope many of you are able to go to the 154 Contemporary African Art Fair sometime between the 8th and 10th of this month at Somerset House in London and after you've gazed upon some of the works of your favourite artists from Africa don't forget to check out the tabare.com website where you'll be able to see and buy the works of a good number of the best contemporary African artists today and from now on Tabare will be bringing you articles, insights, podcasts and loads more about the African art scene as it progresses. And on next week's podcast show, we will be speaking to Michael Soy from his studio in Nairobi and we're going to be talking about his controversial China Loves Africa series and also about how the smut and sordiness of nightlife in his hometown is a never-ending source of inspiration. You don't want to miss it and hear from that great artist. And we'll also be going over to Ghana to speak to Joe from Tabare to hear about how a joint Ghanaian, Pan-African and British team are building a model that they think will help predict the true value of art. And so until then, have a wonderful week and see you next time.